Assalamu alaikum and hello everyone. You are listening to episode 4 of Loj Kashir brought to you by Kashmir Civitas. I'm Afshin Chak. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Muhammad Fawad. On today's podcast, we will be discussing the impact of occupation on one's mental health and how this occupation negatively impacts the youth. With daily curfews, killings, communication blockades, and forced disappearances, constant shutdown of schools along with non-Kashmiris being flooded into Kashmir to alter the demography of the region, Kashmir is on the brink of having an exceptional amount of disillusioned youth who are viewing the future as bleak and abysmal. Kashmir is currently running on 2G internet and schools are closed and this makes the whole learning process extremely challenging, thus further exacerbating the mental health of an already vulnerable population. We will be sharing some audio and written statements from Kashmiris today where you will hear how their mental health has suffered under occupation. Afterwards, we'll also be discussing a well-known Shaheed who fought against the Indian state and its tyranny. We will be discussing martyr Dr. Manan Rani, regarded as a hero amongst Kashmiris for standing up to the Indian state. When I also think of martyrs, I think of my best friend Aida, whose father fought during the Bosnian War in the 90s, and he is a Shaheed and a war hero. You will hear from her today, where she will talk about what happened during the Bosnian War and how Bosnians bravely fought back against the Serbs. First, Mohamed Fouad will update you with current news in Kashmir. Thank you, Afshin. So I would like to start with the updates on encounters that have taken place in these two weeks, about Kashmiri freedom fighters were killed in different operations carried out by Indian forces in Srinagar, Shopian, Pulwama, and Kulgam districts of the valley. Another civilian was killed after being hit by an army vehicle in Srinagar. After hitting the vehicle, the armored vehicle fled the spot and disappeared. So there's another interesting story that I would like to read. Three teachers booked under PSA. JNK police is accusing a school, uh, a religious school in Shopian district of Kashmir that they have been giving education to students and some of them have later joined militants. German Kashmir police on Monday said that it has booked three teachers of a religious school in Shopian district under the Public Safety Act after it came to the forefront that some of its students and alumni were found involved in militant activities, reported a local agency, Kashmir News Services. The school named Sirajul Alum Imam Sahab it is not that the school has not been uh, under observation. We have already booked three teachers of the school, namely Abdul Ahad Bhatt, Rauf Bhatt, and Muhammad Yusuf Wani under the PSA. The Inspector General of Police in Kashmir told the reporters, the chairman of the school, Muhammad Yusuf Matu, called these allegations as baseless. Talking to this new service, he refused these allegations and he says, and I quote, we refute these allegations. Some of the students who had become militants had already left the seminary and were home for a longer period before joining the militant ranks. So there's one interesting story that is coming out from Kashmir that's about the property tax being imposed. Now, everybody who is in Kashmir and owns a property is going to pay a tax to the government. We already know that how economy is uh, ravaged in last uh, since last year when Article 370 was abrogated. And during this year, the whole pandemic uh, we have seen uh, since its inception, since its beginning. So this is grave injustice with people of Kashmir. They don't have good source of income. All they have now is the property they have left and now it's being taxed. So this is all from the news stories.
Thank you for the updates, Fawad. We now move on to the discussion of Kashmiri youth and how their mental health has been negatively impacted by the Indian state. In Kashmir, with a population of nearly 10 million, one in five individuals is believed to be suffering from mental health issues, which includes PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. According to BMJ Global Health, an online journal that did a study in 2015 titled Prevalence of Anxiety, Depression, and Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder in the Kashmir Valley, they estimated that 45% of Kashmiri adults were under mental duress. They further found that 41% of adults had probable depression, 26% with probable anxiety, and 19% with probable PTSD. The three disorders were associated with the following characteristics, being female, over 55 years of age, having had no formal education, living in a rural area, and being widowed, divorced, or separated. There are not enough proper programs in place in Kashmir to assist individuals going through these various mental health issues. There have been other issues that have been exceedingly increasing in Kashmir as well, such as unemployment in youth, poverty, delayed marriage, and an increase in drug addiction amongst the youth. Drugs are often taken to numb internal pain and is also being supplied by India as a way to destroy the future of Kashmiri youth by rendering them useless and addicted to harmful substances and thus unable to put up a proper resistance against India's tyranny. This is of deep concern to us in the Kashmiri community and we need to work on strategies on how to guide our youth away from things that will affect them physically and psychologically. I have personally witnessed the destruction things like alcohol and drugs can do to people. In the West, we have systems in place to help people, but not everyone utilizes these programs. And I'm aware these programs are not always available in Kashmir. It's also very difficult to get rid of an addiction once it becomes a habit. My only advice to the Kashmiri youth that are listening is that your biggest war is with yourself first. You cannot defeat your enemy if you're in a weakened position physically and mentally. I know occupation and war can destroy you mentally, but you can fight it and you can overcome it. Iman and education will be the keys to your success and keys to Kashmir becoming free from occupation and becoming prosperous. Most Kashmiris that I speak to inside and outside of Kashmir are highly educated people and our strong Iman combined with education makes us a force to reckon with. This combination is a kind of weapon against our occupier as these are two things they cannot control even if they are controlling other aspects of our lives. The more we have the these two things, the better able we are to resist them and to challenge their propaganda against us. I have spoken to numerous Kashmiris who have been in jail, who've been shot by pellet guns, who've been paralyzed, who've lost mothers, brothers, sisters, fathers, uncles, cousins, and close friends to the Indian state. Many have spoken to me in private. Some sent me pictures of their injuries from pellet guns. One Kashmiri boy told me how his brother was killed in 2003 on his way home from school by the Indian state in a civilian killing. Others have told me about their mothers and fathers being detained in jail for speaking out against the Indian state, where they have now been growing up without their parents present. It's not easy for me to hear this, and I wish I could help more. The least I can do at this moment in time is to share your stories and make sure your voices are listening to. You are not and never will be alone. So the questions we posed to Kashmiris on social media were the following. How has occupation impacted your mental health? How have you overcome obstacles, if any, to your learning? What steps did you take or are currently taking to assure that your educational aspirations are not hindered by occupational forces? And have you or anyone you know ever experienced PTSD? We received many responses from Kashmiris worldwide, some in audio notes and some with written statements. Some names have been changed to protect identities as the Indian state, as I've mentioned in previous podcast episodes, often engages in targeted harassment of individuals speaking against them and even goes after them. 
their families. Many people have and continue to be detained that have dared to question the Indian regime. Here are the responses that we received. Please note, names have been changed to protect identities of those who chose to submit their answers. Akhtar from the Kupwara district said, This occupation has made my life hell. I cannot think about my future. I just keep on thinking about how we can be liberated from India. My friends tease me because of that overthinking. I have experienced PTSD. I often remember the time when my uncle that was later on martyred and my father were dragged and beaten and that moment always haunts me to this day. Imran wrote another response we have got. I am a research scholar and say what's the impact of foreign occupation on my mental health. Honestly, is there any doubt about it? I studied here all my life and tried hard to get out of here to complete my studies, but wasn't that lucky. Maybe it's something that I couldn't afford. This emerged from the fact that all the time you're dragged unknowingly into a black hole, that means death, a bad news. Its impact is traumatic. You tend to lose your focus and it's hard to find interest. All you wish is to sleep, but then that's something you cannot afford to do. It's therefore an opportunity to find peace. And that's exactly what you do. You tend to be very home in a world that takes you away from reality. Shut your doors to it, but it's difficult because it comes to you no matter how much you try to avoid it, it confronting. Another uh, response we have received is from Shahrukh. Living in Kashmir is hard, especially if you are a student. You feel suffocated as if the world is closing in on you in an attempt to choke you. But the situation after 5th August last year was even more harrowing. How does one focus on studies one when one fears that they're going to end up like Annie Frank? People here live in constant trauma. And as a student, it affects everything you do. Your hair starts to whiten in middle school. Constantly, anxiety and a feeling of despair have become a part of our life. We find refuge in spirituality and remembering that these dark times shall pass too. Practical steps one can take are to keep a journal, take long walks, and just let go of things at times. It's also better to pursue education either here in Kashmir itself or out of India. It may involve giving up lucrative offers, but one has to ensure one's safety. You also need to be self-reliant, knowing that schools, colleges will be closed for most of the year. You need to be well prepared since the internet is unreliable as well. You need to take care of getting all relevant material in advance too. Other than that, this, just take a break from everything for a while and trust that history is in good hands. When asked about how his occupation impacted your mental health, Salman wrote the following. India has illegally occupied Kashmir and has long-lasting negative consequences on mental health, which we see in our daily lives. First, and the most important thing I want to share is that Kashmir lost many generations into the unknown graveyards. Every other house has been badly affected due to the military occupation by Indian forces. Their presence on the streets makes anyone angry, and here is the first step when one's mental health gets challenged. Unwanted fear of being killed, framed into the activity which goes against occupation or arrested is daily living experiences of Kashmiris. The ongoing turmoil has exposed us to many psychosocial and economic problems. It has resulted in many mental health issues like long-term aggressive behavior among children and young adults. Stress, anxiety, depression, and sleeplessness is common among Kashmiris now. It has not only affected us psychologically, but physically as well. Due to the daily encounters, lati charges, etc., many young and old have become lifetime disabled. I was born in 1992, and that was the period which was the most brutal to Kashmir, according 
to my parents. My parents used to share their stories that they had never seen that kind of brutal occupation, and it was something new and unacceptable for them. As I grew up, I've heard the sounds of gunshots, mine blasts, air blasts. I have been socialized in a way that these gunshots were treated to be sounds of normal firecrackers. That was itself learning how to handle these sounds or any other activity. Living in an armed conflict or occupation has become our daily affair, and any type of living experience or learning cannot be discussed without discussing armed conflict. You don't know what will happen in the next moment. In this way, I try to normalize the already abnormal thing, and I believe this is the highest level of saturation, wherein you try to make yourself understand and let happen what happens. However, normalizing any abnormal thing itself is another challenge and subject to further discussion. This behavior can have long-lasting impact on someone's life. The presence of occupational forces has caused lots of distress among Kashmiris since decades. In this contention, Kashmir has lost many generations without getting properly educated. However, little or more people still attempt to get an education despite all the issues. The Indian state's presence has surely hindered the educational aspirations for many. But for me, as I already told you, let it happen what happens. And this is the main thing which prompts me to move ahead and achieve my educational aspirations. Another Kashmiri from uh, Chopin that we will call Adam wrote, being occupied not only occupies you physically, but puts a psychological barrier that affects your emotions, feelings, and puts you in a state of stress, anxiety, depression, and sometimes can bring on disorders such as bipolar disorder. The life here in Kashmir is not what we call a normal one. Each and everyone here has some kind of mental stress or depression. I, being part and parcel of this society, have felt all of this. I have felt many mental health problems, even as I worked hard to cope with them. But to be honest, I have hundreds of times locked myself in my room and wept for hours because that thin line was crossed and I could not bear the pain anymore. Sometimes locked up for months without being in touch with my loved ones, I have visited deserted places to shout loudly to be able to keep myself away from being totally mental. All this has badly affected my studies and I'm hardly able to focus on my studies because I felt that people who left for good cause are haunting me. I have memories deep in my unconscious mind that haunt me whenever I try to focus on my studies. It has always been hard to continue education being in such a state of mind, but somehow I managed to get my education. I have almost compromised the quality of education and many a times only studied to qualify for exams. I used to visit people in my area who could help and thank God they help without any second thought. I have borrowed books from many people and always kept speaking to my friends for keeping my motivation levels high. All these things help me to somehow manage my studies. So you have now heard some anonymous written statements from Kashmiris. Now please have a listen to some audio statements that were sent into us. Thank you to those that were able to do so. Hey, I'm a student from Kashmir. Well, talking about how um, occupation has affected the mental health of every Kashmiri. Let me take a simple example. I know every Kashmiri has witnessed this. See, when we go out of our homes, like we reach the main roads, we see these uh, junctions, these uh, security forces, bunkers uh, all over. Like uh, you have to stop there. They stop you. Deliberately, they stop you. If you are a young man riding a bike or a car, they stop you deliberately and you have to go through this frisking and you face humiliation. Like every day when you go out there riding a bike in a good mood and you are being stopped and frisked regularly, so you feel humiliated and this takes a toll on you on your mental health like uh, they claim that this is for the security of the people of kashmir and that's completely wrong uh, this affects the mental health in like uh, really it uh, it leaves a bad impact on you so these are the kind of things that happen here usually and uh, 
these are basic things apart from the month-long curfews that are being imposed here this is just a basic and now i'll say that i'll overcome i'll overcome this obstacle by just entertaining myself just keeping me busy and how i'll keep me uh, myself busy how do you expect me to keep myself busy from all this trauma that is being caused due to these security forces i'll simply go to the internet oh sorry internet is not available here and still you expect us to be normal see it uh, really feels bad like when i travel outside kashmir i see people there i see students for them normal is normal and for us normal is not normal at all we are being imposed with this idea of being normal when actually we are not normal and we are facing these kind of things these kind of trauma uh, this is uh, unexplainable obviously it gets pretty frustrated like the world might have uh, witnessed only one lockdown but kashmir here is going through the second lockdown in past two years and that's completely frustrating now you can imagine the level of frustration in the students because you see the teenage phase of a student is a teenage age of a person is a very active phase and uh, being locked up uh, where your productivity is zero your creativity is zero and you can imagine yourself what kind of things what kind of impact it leaves on your mental health so obviously everybody will prefer to go outside for their studies and everyone will think of their education because mm-hmm. see education is the basic thing if you have to destroy a community just stop their education just bar their education and that is what these kind of things are doing to us as kashmiris <laughs> and on the other side if you want to go outside abroad to study see, everyone cannot afford that what about the underprivileged class of kashmir what about their children what about those students who belong to the underprivileged class who cannot afford to go outside and study see this will leave a huge toll on their mental health like why i was not able to study at that time because of this lockdown because of this occupation i was not able to study i was not able to complete my education i couldn't afford that so these are the kind of things this will leave a huge toll on their mental health and this is what occupation is doing to us and to our mental health my total outlook at life man and universe has got affected and i'm sure with most of the people living under brutal occupation which is unethical illegal thuggish of india obviously through its mercenaries which they call indian army who are basically a group of rapists and murderers i believe if it were not for islam and its teachings perhaps the mental trauma and the darkness of indian illegal occupation of our lands our resources our institutions our lives could have had much greater impact but thanks to our religion of justice that we follow which gives us meaning and strength to stand in the face of indian occupation their propagandists they're gangsters and it never allows us to lose hope in justice and retribution for the countless crimes perpetrated crimes of indian mercenaries upon the people of kashmir in our days early 90s decades we used to face a lot of curfews by indian establishment and there were no modes of distance learning as you have today through internet how we dealt with it was by studying under some learned family member or a distant family member or through books by ourselves and whatever we could get our hands on 
Personally, I didn't go outside. I finished my school and college. Through all those obstacles of curfews. But yeah, certainly it was tough. It wasn't smooth. And I do know some of my friends who went out of Kashmir for the studies. Well, the trauma that I experienced as child was when our house was burned down to ashes by Indian armed Hindu terrorists. That has remained with me for a long time. I can never forget the look on my father's face who was helplessly watching his house burnt burn to ashes right in front of him. The house that he built by his hard-earned money, all the earnings, all the savings, all the memories, all the achievements got destroyed and annihilated by that cruel act of terrorism by Indian armed mercenaries. Uh, I remember my father wearing the same pair of shirts for several years after that because we had lost everything. Although that memory has faded away a little, primarily due to the ex existential satisfaction that my religion provided, but it did affect, definitely, it did affect our psychology. Firstly, Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh to everyone who is listening to this. This is from Pulwama Kashmir and we have some serious questions that have been raised by our, one of my friends so we have to answer all these things. Uh, first question is how has the occupation impacted your mental health? So my answer will be like this. We have seen this occupation from last 70 years now and as everyone knows as a Kashmiri as India has legally occupied Kashmir and almost 1.2 million troops are here that has been deployed by Indian government. And we have seen encounters, we have seen lockdowns, we have seen internet shutdowns for years, abuse of human rights, innocent killings. And more than this, freedom movement is being suppressed. And all these factors usually contribute. What it contributes, they have a lot of impact on your mental health. So this was actually the first question, how has the occupation impacted your mental health? So if we contribute, if we add all these factors, obviously your mental health, it will have a great impact on our mental health. And if we count the numbers in Kashmir, almost here in Kashmir, everybody is affected with this. So I will have a brief answer about this and I will just click to my second question. The second question here is how you have overcome the obstacle. If we see the obstacles, there are numbers, there are a lot of numbers, hindrances or obstacles we will say. If we keep these obstacles along with your life, they are going to know and they are going to rule you. And for Kashmir, you don't have any option. You don't have any option. You have to overcome all these factors. Otherwise, you will get stuck. Because if you are going to see that we have an uh, encounter right here, we have internet shutdown, then you are not going to overcome all these factors. And we firmly believe this thing that it's actually the resistance, our resistance that keeps us flow. And we cannot surrender like this way that you are going to do this and that. And for a Muslim and for a Kashmir, being a Muslim, we verily say that Allah is with those who have patience. Uh, next question is like this. What steps did you take to assure that your educational aspirations are not hindered by occupational forces? My answer will go like this. As we know that education is the basic thing. You can only win a war with your pen. And being education, being the prime preference, I have done higher education outside the state. Although my prime education is here in Kashmir. And for a Kashmir, you have to be brave enough to clear all these obstacles that comes your way. No matter what is going day to day. Because every day you see killings, 
you see encounters you see internet shutdown and we see india is coming up with different laws at different times so you cannot get stuck you need to don't you don't have to get stuck one thing and for this in order to make international communities realize what is happening in kashmir you have to be a literate one you have to be educational personality who can who can make a impact question number 4 is like this have you experienced ptsd or known anyone that has so alhamdulillah for now and from uh, to my previous experiences i have not experienced this but i have seen people who suffer with this problem because in a war zone or in occupational zone you are used to it you will see different stories with this recently i have seen uh, in a kashmir a man was tired and a pont on the bonnet of a jeep and he was uh, being carried out to the unconscious side what allegations were made against him that he was a stone pelter and after confirming this news that was not true and that person when he was realized released i um, sorry uh, he experienced all these things because uh, the scene was coming into his mind that what had happened to me how i was treated so all these things are used to it we are used to it actually in a wallight zone thank you for giving me this opportunity to have a brief interaction about kashmir and the things going on i will be a active member for this i will happily cooperate with you because we feel honor that somebody is working for kashmir cause inshallah we will win this Fawad, would you like to share your own uh, answers? Well, I, I like to questions? put it briefly like this. For me, it's almost like the same. I'm living out of Kashmir only to escape that feeling and fear of suffocation and being crippled to do nothing. It's always a matter of your personal security, your family, your property, and your belongings. You're often harassed by armed forces on the streets out there, and this halts your growth in every form of your life. You cannot concentrate on your studies, nor business, nor job, nor nothing. You cannot do anything. all you are mostly worried about is the very next moment to the moment you are living in you know it's a, it's so sad for me to hear that and i think the biggest things that can help with one's mental health when you're going through something like this is first and foremost ibadah and staying away from things that you know will have a detrimental impact on you turning towards family and friends reading and writing and just persevering during these uncertain times as kashmir is dealing with both occupation and a pandemic so try to find sukoon in things that will be helpful to your well-being so now discuss dr manan wani as october 10 marks the day that dr manan wani was killed by the indian state he was a scholar and had initially pleaded in fighting with the pen but then eventually he was compelled to pick up arms he has been a prominent figure in the kashmiri freedom movement he is hailed as a hero for kashmiris and is regarded as a martyr india paints educated men such as dr mananwani who were forced to take up arms to defend themselves their families and their people as terrorists for me and for our listeners today i would like to say mananwani was not a common kashmiri those who are martyrs are very special and manan had an edge being a solid fighter with both pen and gun going to read some lines from his article that he wrote addressing the people of kashmir and challenging the indian occupation words matter that's what he has titled it be peaceful be courteous obey the law respect everyone but if someone puts his hand on you send him to the cemetery this is the quote from Mal- malcolm x the american leader 
uh, and he is starting with uh, quoting him. Occupation is not easy to understand. It's a very complex and multifaceted phenomenon. The decades-long bloody conflict has turned Kashmir into one of the most politically mature nations of the world. With the time, we all have somewhat understood the complex functioning structure and machinery of occupation. India as a colonial state is slowly but steadily failing in justifying its colonial rule to the people of Kashmir. But occupation is like cancer. Thus, we as a nation and community have to evolve and update ourselves of the new military, mental and diplomatic tactics of India as a colonial state. You might be wondering why I, one who chose the gun or pen, decided to write. There are fair things that I believe made it hard for me to be silent. Collaborators nowadays are obfuscating facts to justify occupation and oppression while playing with emotions of valuable masses. Human rights defenders are turning into business monsters and are making conflict a business by featuring the pain of oppressed activism is guided and directed from Delhi studios. From print media to electronic media, everyone from oppressor to oppressed has chosen to castigate us. Our ways and methodology, our ideology and thought process by simply demonizing us. When people who are forced to give up gun to propagate peaceful ways of resistance try to justify our methods of resistance by their own understanding and logic, but actually disown and disown us and our ideology and lastly when a former top command for former top former cop turned human rights defender who worthlessly tried to crush genuine aspirations of people during his tenure tries to preach humanity and moderatism through half-hearted and illogical arguments. I'm reading some more uh, lines from uh, his article. We're soldiers. We don't fight to die, but to win. We don't feel dignity in death, but we do feel dignity in fighting in an occupation. It's a military might. It's operation. It's tyranny. It's collaborators, and most of all, it's ego. And if and when we will die while fighting all this, we do feel dignity in that death. By we, I mean Kashmiri, and by Kashmiri, I mean every citizen of Jammu and Kashmir who is fighting the occupation in one or another way, not just the gun, not just the men with gun. Those calling us terrorists okay. should either change their textbooks or their rhetoric. The people of India are being taught that Kashmiri militants are brainwashed young boys who join militancy for 72 virgins and they believe dying like this is a shortcut for Jannah. There is no denying that Islam is our motivation and way of life and Islam indeed promises Jannah fighting against every kind of oppression in whatever means one can. So, you know, any mention of these individuals and in posts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and so on often results in immediate warnings or bans. Even the fact that we're talking about this right now, we don't know what the consequences will be of that. But Kashmir Sivitas has occasionally tried to mention these martyrs and why they were forced to take up arms. But this led to our Facebook page being taken down, which we're working on putting back up again. Uh, Hindutva extremists call Kashmiris terrorists when legally Kashmiris have the right to take up arms due to them being a disputed terrorist territory. According to the United Nations Resolution uh, 37-43 of December 1982, it states the following, reaffirms the legitimacy of the struggle of peoples for independence, territorial integrity, national unity, and liberation from colonial and foreign domination and foreign occupation by all available means, including armed struggle. So yes, based on this, we think it's ridiculous that social media platforms don't want to hear about Kashmiris who have defended themselves illegally from the Indian state. Uh, this is a clear 
legal right for any occupied people to protect themselves from their aggressors. When I also think of martyrs, one story that is particularly close to me is of my best friend Aida, who's Bosnian. When the pandemic first began, my friends and I would hop on Zoom chat and discuss many topics. One such topic was our histories, and I had told my friends then that I would love to share their stories on a future podcast. So today you will hear about my best friend Aida's father named Nazir Souza, who is a Shaheed and a hero and fought against the Serbs during the Bosnian War from 1992 to 1995, where recent estimates say over 100,000 people were killed, with over 80% being Bosnians. The horrendous events of Srebrenica of 1995 alone resulted in the loss of over 8,000 Bosnian men and boys. There were countless reports of torture, and the Bosnian Interior Ministry estimates over 50,000 Bosnian Muslim women were raped. This was an absolute genocide and was a form of ethnic cleansing, and this was solely done by the Serbs because the Bosnians are Muslims. Many Bosnians had been left during this time frame, and my best friend, alongside her mother and little brother and several relatives, settled here in Canada. Please have a listen to her experience during the Bosnian War. Assalamu alaikum, Aida. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for being on our podcast today. Of course, my pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Aida and I'm from Bosnia. I've moved here to Canada when I was 14. So I've been living here for quite a few years now and I consider myself a little bit of both Bosnian and Canadian. What was your childhood like growing up in Bosnia? Um, It was a typical childhood, I guess. Back in the 80s, early 90s, we played outside on the streets. Parents had to like run out to get us to come into the house. And it was it was a nice childhood. Everybody was friends. Everyone went to each other's houses. Um, everybody knew each other's neighbors and the kids. So it was quite a nice childhood. How did things drastically change when the war began? Well, one of the first things we noticed was the separation, right? Um, different religious religious uh, separation, I guess, because all of a sudden the Muslims were the Bosnians, the Serbs were the Serbians, and the, the Catholics were, you know, Croats. That segregation started happening where, um, you know, as before, everyone would play together, interact with each other, then all of a sudden we were all picking sides. Kind of Muslims were sticking together, Serbs together, and so on. So it changed quite drastically. So how did it begin? What initiated it? Um, Well, the war started in uh, 92, and um, one of the first things that happened were some protests in the city, the capital in Sarajevo, where some protesters were shot down and then that was like one of the first events that I remember. It was early on, April 6th, I want to say, in 1992. And then um, suddenly the army, um, which used to be like Yugoslavian army, they suddenly uh, surrounded the city of Sarajevo and started um, shooting the civilians and taking kind of taking it over and they did similar things in other cities they would just basically come in surround the city and take it over and claim it as their own and um, killed civilians and um, did other awful things to them so so what did your family do during this time well my family um we were living out in the country at that time and my dad used to be like part of um he was kind of like a reservist um 
police officers so he would uh, so he was in that force before the war started and then when the war started he split up he went with um the muslim side obviously and then um so they were patrolling they were protecting us because we noticed that the neighbors around us everyone was just getting weapons and we noticed the army coming in so we stayed in that place until we were forced out sometime in june of 92 and uh, what happened was we were attacked uh, by the army and by the neighbors and we were forced out so we fled Uh, i mean we had to run away with just a few things a few personal possessions and uh, we ran away to the next um, territory that was being held by the bosnian army and we stayed there for a while because that was the only safe uh, place at that time that we could go to. Can you tell us a little bit about your father? Well, um, so my mom, my brother and I, we went um, with other civilians. We were escorted by um, some army to the Bosnian stronghold and um we stayed there, whereas my dad stayed back and he... Um, he was part of the Bosnian army, so they were. He was on the front lines, basically. So he stayed on the front lines the whole time until his death. Um, he came to visit us twice before he was killed. So we saw him twice, I guess, in a month and a half. And then uh, the time that he was supposed to come visit us again was the time that he was actually killed. So that was it. I am so sorry to hear that. What was the UN doing during this time and when did they eventually intervene? Not exactly where we were. So we were in the eastern part of Bosnia and that part is very close to Serbia. So um, the UN was not there at that time. Um, and every time a um, aid convoy would come in uh, to bring some aid, to bring some food and medicine and essentials, really, the fighting would cease and we would be peaceful for that time. But then as soon as they left, it would start up again, even worse than before. So the UN and that part of the country didn't really intervene. We left in 93 and they still were not there. So um, I cannot tell you exactly when they came to that part of the country, probably late 93, 94. Okay. What was it like moving to Canada away from your home? Was it difficult adjusting here for you? How did your family adjust? It was difficult. I did not want to come here. Um, I wanted to stay in Bosnia because I felt very patriotic. And um, considering that my dad died protecting that country, I felt like I needed to stay there. And I wanted to. However, I was 13 at the time, so I didn't have a choice. My mom made me come here. And um, it was very difficult. I um, I did not like it. The lifestyle was very different from what I was used to. I mean, then there was the language barrier. And I just felt like I didn't fit in. And um, I didn't want to fit in, I guess. I didn't want to be here. So that didn't make my life any easier either. And my family, my brother adapted rather well. He's younger than me, so he adjusted and he was... He was happy. He was good. Uh, My mom, she worked hard. She had a very hard time. She worked three jobs at the time in order to support us. 
So she had a hard time, but um, one of my, the last time my dad came to see us, actually, he pretty much told her to bring us to Canada to save us because he wasn't sure where things were going in Bosnia. So she felt it was her duty to bring us here to safety. So even though she was having a difficult time um, adjusting with language, language and everything, she still felt that she made the right decision to bring us here because it was safe. And that's what my dad wanted her to do. So I probably out of the three of us, I probably had the hardest time adjusting in the beginning. Would you ever move back to Bosnia? Um, a part of me would love to move back. Uh, but there's always that other part of me that is afraid because I feel like that part of the world is just waiting to erupt at any time. There's just so much history, so much um you know, bad blood. And um, it worries me. So I don't really want to put my kids through what I went through. And that's one of the reasons why I'm choosing not to move back there. Did you ever experience PTSD? I did. Um, When we moved here, I did. I went through uh, severe depression and um, had some other health issues. So Definitely PTSD and um, all that good stuff. (laughs) Do you have any favorite memories of your father you would want to share? There are many, um, but one of my favorite things that we used to do was um, go visit my aunt in the summer. She lived um, kind of in the west part of the country, so it was quite a road trip. It would take us about seven or eight hours to get there, and we would bring food and then um, we would make frequent stops and stop and have some lunch or some snacks. And my dad would always make sure to stop at these nice um, scenic locations and tell us about those places and, you know, share historic significance of those places with us, like from World War II or such like that. And there was this one old airplane from World War One in this one big field and we would stop there every time we went to visit my aunt pictures and um, my dad would lift my brother and me up onto the wings of the airplane to take pictures so that's one of those nice memories that kind of stand out at the moment thank you for sharing such a beautiful memory do you have a message you would like to give to your kashmiri brothers and sisters in kashmir Yes, I would tell my brothers and sisters in Kashmir to stay to stay strong and to keep hoping that Allah will intervene and help their cause because we were in the same spot in Bosnia and felt hopeless, but in the end we prevailed. So inshallah, Kashmir will prevail as well. Inshallah. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Aida. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Aida for sharing up your experience with us, how your life has been, the Bosnian war, and how your family was involved in it. I'm extremely stunned with listening to all of what you were speaking. This is absolutely, I mean, shocking. And I really got touched by uh, the kind of pain you might have felt at that time. I could relate to it. This is something very common to us. We have had these uh, we we don't have an army. Like you said that we have an army. We don't have an army. All we have is fighters. And those fighters are fighting against a mighty occupation. 
and they are just they're trying everything they're not trying to defeat them but the main thing is that they are showing them that you are occupiers and we are the natives here so you have to go as i listened to aida speak i thought about how it's not easy leaving your homeland and settling in a new place and having to learn a new language and new customs my friend was not fluent in english at that time and it was a difficult transition for her to make here I commend her and her family for overcoming such a major tragedy in their lives and alhamdulillah they're all happy and successful today and I'm honored that I know my friend and her family they are some of the bravest people I have ever encountered I have the utmost respect for shahids and their families may her father and all of their shahids be granted the highest place in jannah we would like to thank everyone for listening today we hope you continue to contact us and send us in your submissions we want the maximum amount of kashmiri voices heard and if you're in the valley we'll make sure you remain anonymous for your safety and the safety of your family. Thank you so much for listening. Lots of prayers for everyone and their families. Allah Hafiz. Inshallah, our next podcast will again release in two weeks. We hope you will have a restful weekend. Allah Hafiz.